been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head oh I will sing of the goodness of God and all my life you have been Running out. 
Let our hearts continue burning For our King is soon returning As we hold to this assurance Spirit Worthy of 
of every breath we could ever Jesus. Jesus, the only. Jesus, sing out his name. Jesus, the only one. Sing it out if he's worthy. Show me. 
Thank you for today. Uh, thank you for uh, your presence here. And I just pray that um, as we sit here, um, looking back over this year, that you've done so many different things, whether we're aware of them or not, uh, that we would be able to open up our hearts to what you want to do right now uh, so that we can pivot and go forward into the new year, uh, confident that you're going to just keep moving in our lives and, and really that just with an expectation that you're going to do something Really cool. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So uh, here we sit at the end of another year. Uh, I wonder how was it? Was it, a, was it a hard year? A good year? Happy year? Sad year? Um, I don't know. I don't know how you would say your year went. Uh, mine was wildly inconsistent. Uh, I had some uh, incredible peaks and some really deep valleys. Um, I imagine... Everybody had somewhat of a mixed bag as you look back over the year. But we all have one thing in common. Uh, I think we all want this coming year to be better than uh, the last year. This coming year to be better than the last year. Um, obviously, if you're sitting here thinking, well, my year sucks, so of course I want it to be better. Um, God, please don't give me another one of those. Please give me something better. But I would say even if you're sitting here thinking, hey, I had a decent year this year, I'm guessing you're still imagining and, and, and desiring something even better. So what I want to do... Uh, is I want to talk about kind of the first step towards that, the first step to make uh, this coming year better than the last year. And the way I want to do that is I want to look at kind of an obscure book in the Bible. Uh, we're going to end this year uh, on this in this book, and then we're actually going to start the next year in this book as well. It's the book of Haggai. And I know that's your favorite book of the Bible, and you're probably sick of hearing from it. Uh, but if you're not familiar, it's uh, one of the Old Testament prophets, one of the minor prophets. Um, I'm sure some of you would have a hard time finding it, and some of you didn't even know it existed until I just said it. But uh, it's a really interesting, cool little book. So let me give you a backstory. Uh, Haggai is a prophet uh, to Israel, and um, Israel was in exile to this country 
uh, called Persia. And then uh, a king named Darius becomes king. And he actually makes this decree that people can come back to their homeland and make a life there. So he allows the Israelites to start coming home. And it's a really cool thing because this return home had been prophesied for like literally decades that they would come home. And, and there it happens. Darius gets the power and he lets them come home. Uh, so uh, there's like this, this sense of expectation as the people of Israel are coming back to the city of Jerusalem. And even more than that, in uh, this return, God is starting to make some uh, promises to do some really cool things. The Jerusalem, the capital city, he's talking about like returning it to its former glory. Uh, he actually promises to literally like shake the heavens and the earth to move in some really spectacular and miraculous ways. So uh, there's just kind of this, this sense of expectation with all the people that God's going to do something really cool uh, here in the future. So the situation they're in, they're, they're not where they were. You know, they're not in exile anymore, uh, but they are not yet where they believe God wants them to be. They believe God's going to do something. So um, they have a dark past behind them. They have a bright future ahead of them, but their current situation is kind of somewhere in the middle. You know, they're home. That's good. But they're still kind of waiting. They're still kind of hungry for what God is going to do. Uh, anybody feel like that? <laughs> kind of that in-between place. Yeah, I'm, I'm not where I was, but I still have like this dissatisfaction, like a good kind of dissatisfaction for um, a, a brighter future. You, you know, you're not ungrateful for how far God has brought you, but you're hungry for what he has next, kind of a thing. Um, now, we'll get here in, in the next couple of weeks, we'll get into part of the reason they are where they are and why they're not yet where they should be is their own fault. We're going to talk about that here in a, in a couple of weeks, but... Um, God sends the prophet Haggai to start to tell them some things. God speaks through these prophets. Um, And I was reading this. It's a pretty short book. As I was reading this, this one phrase jumped out at me. Uh, Haggai uses this phrase like four times uh, in this little book. And uh, it seems like an important theme that God has for the people of Israel. And I think it's a good theme for us to end the year. So uh, the first place he says it is in verse 5. And he says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Uh, so it's, it's kind of this, this pause. Okay, I've brought you uh, from exile. You're, you're home. Things are better than they were. And now you're looking forward to this, this excitement that's coming. But he kind of tells him to stop for a minute and consider your ways. Other translations say, uh, think carefully about how you're living. Take a good hard look at your life. Uh, thoughtfully reflect on your conduct. Um, but, a, but a literal translation, if you took the actual Hebrew from these and uh, tr- literally translated it, you would get set your heart on your path. Set your heart on your path. So it doesn't just mean to think about how you've been living. Uh, set your heart on it. Deeply reflect on it. And, and it's not just on how you've been living. It's, it's how you're living and where it's leading. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference. You can think about how you're living, but it's, it's, it's more than that. It's the trajectory of how you're living. It's the outcome of the sum total of all the habits that you have right now. Uh, so really, the, the, the phrase means to engage the whole person in an evaluation of the direction of your life. Reflect on the path you're on. Consider the direction you're headed. Consider your ways. So there's this myth. I don't know if you guys have heard this myth um, Experience makes you better. You ever heard that? Experience makes you better. Um, and it's just not true. And actually, so at first when you hear it, you're like, yeah, that sounds right, though. Like, experience would just make you better. If somebody has experience, it'd be better. Better than somebody who doesn't have experience. Um, but you actually know that it's not true because um, 
If it were true, you would, uh, the person who's worked where you've worked the longest would be the best worker, right? Can you all think, you know the person who's worked where you worked the longest, and you will probably know that they're not the best worker, right? I would actually say it's pretty rare for the person that's been there the longest that, that they're the best worker. Actually, it's pretty rare, isn't it? Which is interesting. It's interesting. Um, so experience does not make you better. Uh, experience just makes a rut, right? You get used to doing things a certain way, so you just keep doing them that way. No matter what other circumstances come in, you just kind of keep doing them that way. So Jim from accounting, who's been at the company for 40 years, he's not the best worker, right? Um, and for, matter of fact, Jim has some pretty annoying work habits that he's picked up over the decades, and uh, it's made him worse, not better. Experience does not automatically make you better. Like, if it did, the longer you've been driving, the better driver you'd be, right? And Karen, who's been driving for 30 years, still doesn't use a blinker and still doesn't know how to merge onto the highway, right? So, like, this, it just doesn't work that way. You, so even though it sounds good, we all kind of intuitively know, once you start to think about it, that's not the way it works. Um, so it's a myth. So a guy named Dr. Howard Hendricks has kind of a correction to the myth. He says this, uh, it's not experience that makes you better, it's evaluated experience that makes you better. Evaluated experience. It's, it's thinking about what you've experienced. It's reflecting on what you've experienced. It's, it's, you're not going to become better just based off of experience. You're going to become better based off what you think about what you have experienced, how you process it, how you interpret your experiences. So, so think about this. The difference between where you were a year ago and, and, and the growth and change that needs to take place to, to where you are now is not just what you experienced, it's how you processed all the things that happened, how you thought about all the things that happened. That's why when, when Haggai says, consider your ways, it's, it's a heavy thing, it's a deep thing. It's great that you have experience, but that's only part of the equation, and it doesn't guarantee growth. Uh, John Maxwell says this, experience gives uh, the, the, the test first and the lesson later. The test first and the lesson later. Um, and the lesson's optional, right? We all know people who've gone around the same lap, the same track over and over and over again because they, didn't, they got the experience, they got the experience on repeat, but they don't get the lesson. Uh, so if you really want this coming year to be better than the year we just finished, you need to consider your ways. So, so here we sit at the end of another year, and, and before we jump into this next one, before you start planning, before you start running, before you start resoluting, uh, let's stop here and, and do some considering uh, of our ways this past year. Um, let's slow down before we go around the turn into this next one. Uh, now, I admit it's, it's hard to evaluate an entire year, right? I can barely remember last week, let alone last January. That's a, that's a really difficult thing. Uh, so here's how I want to frame it, uh, kind of back up a little bit away from the details. I want to frame this year in terms of flow. Uh, in terms of flow. Uh, events aren't static, right? Decisions don't happen in isolation. There's a direction to your decisions, right? Um, there's a momentum to your actions. Every decision you take takes you, uh, every decision you make takes you down a path. Um, every choice you make is kind of like throwing a ball, right? Uh, just because your hand stops doesn't mean the ball stops. The, the momentum keep the, the, it gives the ball a trajectory. And once it leaves your hand, you can't stop it. It's, it's going to keep going and it's going to go in whatever direction you send it. I think our decisions are kind of like that. There's a flow to our decisions. There's a, a trajectory to them, which creates the flow of our lives. And I think that's what Haggai is saying here. He's not just saying, think about your decisions. He's saying, think about your decisions and where they're leading. What's the trajectory of your life based off the way you're living now? 
It's another thing John Maxwell says, who you are tomorrow, you are becoming today. Who you are tomorrow, you're becoming today. Uh, see, I think if, if you can think about all the people that you admire, all the people who you're like, man, I wish I could be like them. Man, I, wish, I wish my life looked like their life, or I wish like, my impact looked like their impact. Um, I think most people who you admire, they understand like, the trajectory of their decisions. Like, they're really good at making the connection between the choices that they make in the details of their life and the big picture that those little choices are making. They're really good at making that connection. So for, for us, as we look back over the year, I think a powerful thing for us would be the ability to make the connection between where we're, we are right now at the end of this year and, and how we lived our lives every single day of this year. The ability to make the connection between the small details that led to here. So let me ask a, a really big picture question here. Uh, what was the flow of this past year for you? What was the, the trajectory, the momentum of this past year? Are you closer to God right now than you were 12 months ago? Do you, do you love God more than you did 12 months ago? Are you living in purpose more now than you were 12 months ago? Are you more generous than you were than 12 months ago? Are you uh, loving people more than you were 12 months ago? Are you closer to being the person that God has called you to be right now than you were 12 months ago? It's a hard one, isn't it? You want to say yes, right? You just definitely want to say yes. But it's hard to measure. It's hard to measure. What's the flow? What's the trajectory? Which, which direction did your life go this year? Now, I, I know that not every decision you made took you in one direction, right? Some decisions took you this way. Some decisions took you this way. But, but overall, which direction are you going? Are you going towards God or away from God? Towards who God created you to be or away from him? By the way, don't do the thing where you go, I think I'm the same. Shut up. Uh, it's a lame, for, first of all, it's a lame answer. And I would say if you stayed the same, if you're like, I'm actually exactly the same as I was in January. Um, well, guess what? You're progressing through life and your relationship with God isn't progressing. That's backwards. Okay, that's backwards. So let's just call neutral backwards. You're going that way. And it's a lame answer anyways. So um, which direction? You're going towards God or are you going uh, away from God? Now, I don't know what your answer is, but whichever your answer, I have a deeper question, maybe a more difficult question. Why? Why are you closer or further away? What caused it? What caused the trajectory? What caused the momentum? What caused the flow towards or away from God? Evaluate your experience here. Consider your ways. Make the connection between whatever it is you did that caused you to either be closer or further away. What was it? I know it's hard, but we've got to be able to answer it, right? Because if you can't answer it, if you can't answer it, then we're doomed to repeat. Like, Andy, this is one of my favorite Andy Stanley quotes. He says it this way. Um, if you don't know why it's working when it's working, you won't know how to fix it when it breaks. So if you're saying, this is a good year, but I don't know why, well, guess what? When next year, when it doesn't go so well, you won't know what to do because you'll look back at this year and go, I don't know why it worked, but it just did. You've got to know why, right? And if this year was terrible, guess what next year is going to be if you don't know why? So, closer or further away? What's the trajectory? What's the momentum? Uh, so now I, I want to give you four questions to maybe help you with that, to kind of dig down into the details of this question. Um, f- first one, did you make more decisions this past year based on discipline or drift? Discipline or drift? Um, what I've, I've noticed in, in my life, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but I never drift towards God. 
I never drift towards God. Um, it never is an accident. When I shift it into neutral and just start rolling, it's always backwards. It's not forwards. Um, it, it, to move towards God requires a choice, uh, a disciplined choice to move towards God. Um, actually, I don't drift anywhere good in any part of my life, right? I don't drift anywhere good when it comes to my diet. I don't drift anywhere good when it comes to my finances. I don't drift anywhere good when it comes to how I spend my time. I always don't drift anywhere good. Discipline is always the thing that is required. I have to tell myself no to cause uh, movement in a good direction. First uh, Corinthians 9, starting verse 24, says this, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. That's a crazy statement from a dude who's arguably the best Christian to ever live, that he was afraid of being disqualified, so he really took discipline seriously. Are you telling yourself, did you, did you this past year tell yourself no a lot? Did you make the discipline decision or did you just drift this past year? Consider your ways. Second question, did you make more decisions this past year based on fear or faith? Fear or faith? I think fear is one of the biggest barriers to us growing in our spiritual lives. Um, it's those pivotal moments in your walk with God when God nudges you to do something, right? To speak when you would normally stay silent, to move when you would normally stay still, to forgive when you would normally blame, to, to give when you would normally hoard, to do something that you're not comfortable with, that you're not ready for, that you don't feel qualified for. When God nudges you, it's fear that causes you to hold back, right? It's fear that causes you to not say yes when God wants you to move. And the reason I say those are pivotal moments is because those are invitations from God to like the next level spiritually. You know that? When, when God says, hey, I know this is like the line on the edge of your comfort zone. I want you to step here. And you're like, God, that's not where I'm not comfortable there. God's inviting you to expand that out and to actually take the next step in your faith. Moments where you would normally say no and God's calling you to say yes. Those are invitations. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. Forever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. I love that verse. So like impossible to, that's crazy. Like it's kind of scary actually. And if you live in fear all the time, you're not pleasing God. And then it's also, if you, you, you want to draw near, you got to believe it exists, kind of a like a duh thing. And then, but that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So when you say yes, you're, you're actually believing that, yes, God, this is scary, this is terrifying, but I believe you got me because you're good. You're good. So was this past year, was this a, a faith year or is this a, a fear year? Consider your ways. This past year, did you make decisions based on purpose or pressure? Purpose or pressure? Uh, I think we all experience enormous amounts of pressure in our lives, right? Pressure at work to think a certain way, act a certain way, have a certain attitude. Pressure from fr friends and, and family to like spend your time a certain way, do certain things, be at certain places, right? Uh, pressure from kids' stuff, sports, school, extracurricular activities, 
everyone else has an idea of how you should live your life, right? And they, and they put pressure on you to live and do certain things. What would your life look like if you just said yes to all that pressure? If you just allowed outside pressure to shape you into whatever it was? What, what would the shape be? What's the shape of a pile of dust, right? You just kind of crumple down into nothing. But is, is that the life you want? To just live in response to pressure? Is that the life, better question, is that the life that God wants for you? I mean, think of it for me, like I just, just one aspect of my life. If, if I said yes to everything that came home in my kids' school folders, I would have time for nothing else and I would be dead broke, like completely dead broke. Just that one little aspect and it's always pressure. Literally just today, my son was like, hey, there's this, there's this, there's this, you want to ring bells for the salvation, I'm going to do all this stuff. And you just can't do it all. You just can't do it all. And as adults, I think the thing you have to realize is that pressure is always to do good things, right? You're not in high school anymore. The pressure is not to go do drugs underneath the football bleachers, right? That's not the pressure anymore. That's, we, you, you, you're pressured to be a part of the PTA bake sale. You're pressured to work overtime. You're pressured to sign your kids up for all the things, right? Um, pressure is not to do bad things. The pressure is to fill your life with too many good things so that you don't have time for what God has called you to. So what if instead of making decisions in response to pressure, you made them in response to purpose? What if you had like an internal compass as you were making decisions that you weren't going to respond to the pressure when something came across your plate? It wasn't this, this pressure that caused you to make the decision. It was the internal compass saying, yes, that's, that's in line with my purpose. No, that's not in line with my purpose. What if that's how you made decisions? Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says this. Uh, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. But live like those who are wise. Make the most of your time in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So this past year, was this a year of pressure or was this a year of purpose? Last question. Last question. This past year, as you think back over it, did you make decisions based off love or laziness? Love or laziness. Now, I chose love and laziness because I had an alliteration streak going that I did not want to break. And as a pastor, you get extra points for alliteration. I don't know if you guys know that, but it's, it's a thing. Um, but actually, part of the reason I chose laziness is because I wasn't going to put love or hate. You're not, hate's a thing, but it's not, you know, you're not sitting around going, oh, man, should I like hate my kids today or love my kids today, right? Like maybe it's sometimes, but not, that's not usually the temptation, right? <laughs> Usually the choice is between love or not, right? Love or I'd rather just sit here, like do something or not do something. Usually it's the decision between action or passivity. You know, serving or staying home, sending that note of encouragement or just not. Giving or not giving, putting others first or being selfish. It's, it's love or laziness. And 1 John 4.19 says this, we love each other because... He first loved us. Our motivation for love is God's love for us. Jesus, in the most spectacular act of love ever, dying on the cross for us, is our example and our motivation. So, if you look back, was this your love year or was this your lazy year? So I guess as we as we slow down here and going around this turn into the new year, 
how would this past year have looked different if you'd chosen discipline over drift, faith over fear, purpose over pressure, love over laziness? How would, your year, how would you be a different person if you'd chosen those things consistently? Evaluate your experience here. Consider your ways. Place your heart on your path. Because if you really want this coming year to be better than this last year, you got to do that. you got to think it through. And ask God which of these areas is the one that he really wants you to focus on as you go into the next one. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, really <laughs> kind of hard to think about the past year, Lord. And, and honestly, Lord, it's a little uncomfortable to ask these questions. And just, uh, I pray that you would be present as we consider our ways, Lord, as we, as we listen to this prophet that you spoke through and we really want to do the thing that he told the people of Israel to do, Lord. I pray that you would help us do that, that you would help us really put our heart uh, down on the path and really just see where we're leading here. That if we keep doing what we're doing, what is it going to produce? That if we keep living the way we're living, if we, if we just keep acting the way we are right now, Lord, what, what does it mean for our future? and for our faith. I pray that you would really help us make those connections so that we could actually, a year from now, say that the trajectory of this coming year was one that was closer to you rather than further away. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.